Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for being here. Thank you for coming back. We are in James. Uh, similar notes to last week, but I've added to them. Uh, beginning in James chapter nine, chapter one, verse nine through fifteen, we're talking about uh, the poor and the wealthy. Uh, the idea here in James is that the poor are considered the righteous poor. Again, we clarify this by saying not that that is not just because you're poor doesn't make you righteous. But these people are, because of their righteousness, have been driven from society and are facing poverty and oppression. The wealthy are playing the game of the culture, and so they remain, so they would be considered the wicked. One of the con- questions we're going to have is, when, as James is writing these verses 9, 10, and 11, are these wealthed wiki, are they are they unbelievers and we're going to say for the sake of our conversation and we'll look at some verses throughout the, the the book of james these would be unbelievers these are those that have rejected jesus christ uh these are believers of a ver- variety of uh maturity and of understanding these unbelievers though they may be in uh, amongst the the jews they may be amongst the synagogue they may be in the the church uh, which would be basically a Jewish church that is separated from the synagogue. They may be with those people because they're going to talk about the wealthy coming and sitting down among them in the book of James and being shown favor. But James is saying uh, it's the poor that have been chosen by God to go through these tests and trials to receive faith and receive eternal life. These maybe haven't made the separation. That's the idea here as we go through here. Uh, looking at these and then that's going to lead into some questions or the teaching that these poor that james is addressing james is addressing the poor uh the jews that have fled jerusalem judea gone up apparently north into syria uh, around 45 a.d and the that's kind of we're, we're guessing at that date but that would be be uh solid these poor are now the ones he's addressing and they're facing these trials these hardships and that's what's going to be the verses 12, 13, 14, 15. How do you view these trials? And basically, uh, they're going to be told the, these trials, don't, don't blame God for the trials or the fact that you're being, the trials are going to lead to temptation. And this, this is not God. God is not the one tempting you. You're, God is putting you in trials to test you for you to rise up. And he's going to say it, consider it joy. Consider it joy when you face trials of many kinds because this joy, this, this test is going to help propel you into growth and maturity and you're going to inherit good things in eternity. Rejoice in your poverty because you're being prepared for a greater glory. Just like the wealthy should boast about their wealth because they're being prepared to be destroyed. And we'll look at those verses, that's 9 and 10. But this, this is what God is doing. He's testing you to prepare you for something greater that would be your joy now when you feel a temptation and the temptation would be possibly in the context to blame god you know why is god not good why is god letting this happen to me or you can make application why are you pursuing this uh these we'll say sinful behaviors and in this context a sinful behavior would be to break with God's righteousness, what he asks you to do, the good character, the godly traits, patience, endurance, uh, continuing to be good to people, be just, be fair. Uh, you're tempted to, one, blame God, or go ahead, and they, we're going to see in this book, uh, become violent against your oppressor, 
uh, speak words that are against your oppressor. In other words, you're going to bail out on God's plan and start living the way the world does, trying to fight fire with fire. Now, this is speaking to us today. Start fighting fire with fire. Give up on the righteousness of God. I say, I've got to fight today's battle in in corrupt and wicked practices before they destroy me. It's like, well, no. Consider this test with joy. You're being prepared for something bigger. Uh, and the sin would be, t- idea, first of all, the sin would be to blame God, but it would extend to where you start applying worldly practices. And this temptation that you're experiencing here is not from God. It comes from inside you. It is your own desire. And that would be, Mark talks about it, and we're talking about it on Monday night, Mark 7. Uh, what goes into a man does not defile them. What you eat, that doesn't make you unclean. It what comes out of you, and what comes out of you is the corruption that is within you. So when you face trials and are tempted to sin, that, that's not God. God is testing you with the trials. The trials are a part of life, and he's observing, empowering you to rise above those trials, giving you the Spirit, giving you the Word, giving you promises, giving you life. But if you collapse and go fall into temptation, well, God is doing this. No, God's not doing this, nor is God wanting you to do this. This is your own desire. This is not God. And if you go after that desire, if you follow that desire, you've been baited, you've been hunted, you've been lured into a trap. It's going to give birth to your desire, once you taste it, is going to give birth to sin, and sin when it is full grown. Now, this is not necessarily instantaneous. Once you give in to desire, boom, you're dead. No, once you give in to desire, it's going to produce sin. And they're going to, it's, the idea is multiple level is going to have to mature. It's going to have to grow. And once sin is full grown, it gives birth to death. Meaning, you can stay in this path of you're going to face trials. You're going to face opposition. But you continue to go to God consider it joy he's testing you he's preparing you and you're going to receive here it's going to say you'll receive the crown of life right this ultimately ends in life and then rewards in eternity but if you say well i don't know i think god is tempting me or i think i'm going to do something different i'm going to uh, fight fire with fire i'm going to go the way of the world well now you've given into the desire the desire is going to give in to sin. Sin is going to grow and build in your life. You're going to justify it, and you're going to be living over here in the world just like the world, and then you're eventually going to face death. And that death, we can say, is, you know, you go spiritual death, separation from God. That death could be, it doesn't say what kind of death. I mean, when you think of death, you think, well, a, a funeral. And that, that could be the context. But death is also spiritual death, separation from God. Death is called death because it, uh, physical death because it's separation of your soul from the body. There's a separation. But then it can come, continue. You may not die physically. You may begin to se- experience death or separation in different areas of your life. Uh, death could take place financially, you know, separation from finances. You've made bad choices. Or death, you practice this, it could be social death, separated from people or careers or family members because of your desires giving way to sin and sin creating some separation it could be separation of your soul from your body you're dead it could be separation from your your career your employment your finances your your mental health it could be anything where this sin is going to start causing separation which is the opposite of life and so that is what we're looking at here there I could quit. That's what we're going to talk about today. That's the whole message right there. So 
If you wanted the, the, the three-minute verse, I'm not sure where we're at, three minutes, eight minutes, oh. <laughs> See, that's what's wrong with being up here teaching. Okay, so here we go. <laughs> I thought that was fast. That, for some churches, that's an entire sermon right there. It's like, let's have our benediction and go get some potato salad. Uh, James chapter 1, I'm in the NIV, and I'll just read through the verses today. Then we'll go to the notes and look at some of these things, and you can see how things are laid out there. Um, I'm going to begin in chapter 1, verse 2. And again, you can hear the ideal of the, the concepts of joy. Uh, you're going to have trials, and that is really the theme. You're facing trials, but the trials are most likely because of being uh, financial oppression, which we could say in our culture, canceled. You've, been, you've lost connection with you know, uh, your career, your, your family, your inheritance, your culture. You've been driven out. Um, so here we go. Chapter 1, verse 2. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. It's going to be growth. We're looking for growth in the Christian. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And not lacking anything is the concept of your character, of godliness. So when you face these trials, you can continue and not lack any godly character trait. That's not talking about when you've done with these trials, you'll have all these physical possessions you'll have all this character traits of godly nature within you. It must finish his works that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, and this is the third part that's going to go throughout the book, is wisdom or spiritual insight. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. Now, what are you asking for? You're asking for wisdom, and he's going to give you wisdom abundantly now it's like well you ask god and he'll give you all these physical things well if the context was how do we get all of our physical needs met uh it's going the wrong direction because it says you're if you're going to face opposition financially you're going to be canceled you're going to have this oppression uh but god is going to provide and now there's verse where god talks about he'll provide for you in your physical area but this is not talking about the physical area it's in this oppression god will provide for you uh, character so that you can stand against those trials and maintain a godly character traits or your godly character traits and if you don't understand something if you need wisdom ask and he'll give you wisdom abundantly so he's promising you two things he's promising you that he's going to give you wisdom in these trials but he's also as you go through these trials you're going to produce the character traits of god and that's what we should be joyful about yeah but are you going to meet my financial needs are you going to give me the big house on the hill it's like uh, no, there's no, nothing about that. In fact, that's what you're, that's the trial, is that you're not going to have those things. So again, you can twist those if you want to, but you're messing up the book. But when he asks for wisdom, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That man should, think, should not think he'll receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. So when you go to God, you say, I'm going to do what God wants. I need wisdom and understanding on how to deal with this, how not to blame God, but what, what is actually happening here? Well, you're going to have to stay there and ask. You can't be double-minded. Ask God, show me what's going on. Then run over here and start playing the game of the world. You're double-minded. <laughs> you're, you're asking for this, but you're living over here. Don't think you're going to receive any. You can't ask God, well, show me the light, and then go live in the darkness. Uh, that man should not think you're ever going to see the light. Don't, don't kid yourself. Well, I went to church, and I asked God to help me, but I went right back to the world and started living like the world. Well, okay, you're, you're done. You're not going to receive anything from the Lord. You've got to stay here and trust God. Okay. He's unstable in all he does. Now beginning verse 9, kind of our context here, and we looked at this last week. 
This is going to be the, the poor man and the rich man. The brother in humble circumstances ought to take pride in his high position. So the, the brother, and again, brother meaning believer, in his humble position. He's fled Judea. He's up in Syria. He's living in a foreign country, oppressed by his, his own culture, his own people, having trouble financially, having trouble in a variety of ways. That man is in a humble circumstances. He should take pride in his high position. Why? Because that's a, the verse begins in chapter 1, verse 2, consider it pure joy because you're going to be growing. You should take pride in your high position. You're in a very humble position. You can't trust the world. You can't rely on your wealth. You can't rely on your connections. You're, you've been abandoned to God and his ways. Boy, good things are going to happen. You're going to start to mature. You should rejoice in your humble circumstance or rejoice in your high position because of the growth that's going to take place because of your humble position in other words your natural humble position on earth is going to help elevate you spiritually if you'll do it right if you'll keep your eye on god now if you're going to get mad and bitter and blame everybody else well you've asked god for wisdom and he ran over here and started blaming you know the culture or blaming you know your parents or blaming whatever it's like okay you're 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 not going to grow. You're not going to mature. You, you've gone right back to the world. But if you are poor and oppressed and you ask God you know, to give you wisdom, rejoice. He's going to show you things. This is, life is about maturing and growing, and you're going to mature. Now, the contrast is um, the brother in humble circumstances ought to take pride in his high position, but the one who is rich should take pride in his low position. Now, a couple things are going to take place. It just says right here, the one who is rich. Clearly, verse 9 is a believer. The brother in humble circumstances. But in verse 10, the one or the man who is rich should take pride in his low position. And so that, that, that's the question. Is he a believer or is he not? He could be a believer. And he should take pride in his low... If it is a believer, if he, it, he should take pride in his low position, well, he's got money. He has everything he needs to survive in this area. He should take pride in his low position. In other words, you could do what, again, now be careful as I, I say, this is, this is, I'm just explaining, this is not like a, a law or, you know, what the, you know, some kind of legal requirement in the, in the scriptures. But this, this rich believer could take pride in his low position by looking at this wealth and saying, okay, I need to humble myself before God. Like Barnabas did, he sold a field and gave it away. He helped the poor he went ahead and took his money now doesn't mean he, be, he went out and became homeless but he took this money he didn't trust this money like the rich man jesus talked about who built you know bins and had all this food so it says eat drink and be merry because you've got all this stuff jesus says you fool <laughs> your soul's gonna be required of you tonight and you put all your trust in the, your own finances which is passing away so the, this, if he's a believer, he could take pride in his low position. Okay, I will, I will use this for the kingdom of God and give it away, not trust in it. Now, not throw it away, not waste your life, not ruin your position because God is called the wealthy just like he's called the poor. But don't put your trust in there and humble yourselves and use that in a way because it's passing away. And embrace that low position because now you're in the same position the poor man, you can start growing. You don't have to be poor to mature in Christ. That would be if he's a believer the idea there that he's going to be able to see and evaluate the situation take pride in the fact or boast in this you can also uh put yourself in a low position but most likely in the context of this book this person is an unbeliever and again that's that's not you know absolute i think 
that would be the right conclusion but you can as you read the book you can make considerations the unbeliever this now becomes irony because the poor believer should take pride and he's low he's oppressed no one wants to be the poor guy but because he is poor and trusting god he should take pride in his high position good things are going to happen in eternity including we're going to talk about a crown here in just a minute this poor man is maturing he you take you're, you're you're poor take pride in your high position because this age this is passing away you're not going to be poor forever this is just a phase that's preparing you for eternity so again consider it all joy boast in your high position because you're low you're going someplace because that's the way the world is working and god is using it now in irony the unbeliever who is wealthy should boast about his low position if you're going to boast don't be looking at this that's really not there if you've got anything to boast about this is what you should boast about because this is going to pass away and you're going to end up with zero you're going to end up with nothing this is what you should be boasting about not like your stock returns or how much you got in the bank or how much property you own and how you're glad you're not this poor guy you should be boasting the fact that everything you are boasting about is passing away the only thing you've got to boast about is nothing consider because the first will be last the last will be first this thing's going to flip around on you again this is not flipping around because just because you've got money means you're going to go to hell but if you're homeless you get to go to heaven that is not the criteria you're not saved by poverty you're saved by faith in jesus christ it's just easier for someone who doesn't have a lot of worldly things to look for help to look and evaluate life and say i need i need something and look for a savior where someone who is wealthy and has never needed their self-sustained they're not looking for an answer uh it could be like this you know if this person jesus talked about the healthy uh the healthy they don't need a doctor i mean i'm healthy i i, I don't even have health insurance i'm fine everything's gonna be fine I, i'll live forever it's like well be careful because uh we're all going to die so don't be don't be trusting in your health because you should be aware of what's going on. But the, the, so this person with money, they'd be the healthy. It's like, I don't need a backup plan. Well, this is not going to last forever. Where the poor person or the sick person right away realizes, my gosh, I mean, I have problems constantly. I need to, you know, look for an answer. I need to go to the doctor. In fact, I'm going to the doctor here next week for my physical, and I've got very my annual physical i'm not sure what i'm going to say to the doctor except just check the box okay i'm going to walk out well we need you to do all these things. okay okay i used to trust the doctors but anyway that's another story okay here we go where am i at where am i at okay am i even all right uh the brother in humble circumstances ought to take pride in his high position but the one who is rich should take pride in his low position because he will pass away like a wildflower now this is describing the rich man what you are boasting in it's passing away so you better be boasting about something else because it's not going to last for the sunday here's just an old testament verse. there's several we could go to a couple psalms you can go to isaiah think about them in the notes for the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant its blossom falls its beauty is destroyed in the same way the rich man will fade away even while he goes about his business and that again is a a a 
uh, a warning to the poor don't keep your eye on the rich because they look like they've got it together they are passing away don't think well i if i could just have a chance to be rich uh that's not going to solve your problems that is merely a facade that is passing away the rich are eventually going to face the same questions the poor have it's like what about eternity well the poor are in a position right now where it's like you're not distracted by all this how do i maintain my worldly possessions what is life about life is about pursuing god the wealthy like oh i know what life is about life is about getting as much as i can get now again i'm very i'm simplifying the whole concept here but this is saying right here the world the world and its desires is passing away now this uh how do you say this you don't have to be rich to love money you know it's like you can have a poor person can have the same problem uh without the comfort as a rich person a poor person can be poor and just keep pursuing this wealth and just never have it so just because you're poor doesn't mean you're on the right track but the idea here the world and its desires and everything in the world is already passing away so we use it we have it but you have to realize there's something you have to have something more stable than money or possessions or this temporal world or your health or your life because all these things are going to pass away and the sooner you realize that and start dealing with it the better off you're going to be and the better chance you're going to have of growth and gaining the wisdom to understand what god is actually doing and so james just like jesus uh just like mary just like hannah talks about the that god through life is going to bring the rich down and they're passing away and here it is again uh in the same way the rich man will fade away even while he goes about his business even as he's going about trying to build and maintain you're eventually going to run out of steam it's not a matter of well i i just i just quit working if i just keep working i'll be fine no you're going to be working and working and building and building maintaining maintaining until finally even while you're doing all of that to the end of your life it's eventually going to pass away you cannot work hard enough to prevent this from passing away even while you're going about your business someday it's going to fade away okay and so then it goes on and says the next line verse 12 blessed is the man who perseveres under trial because when he has stood the test he'll receive the crown of life this goes back to uh the the poor man here or any man who's in any kind of a trial but in this case it would be the oppression you're going to the trial and you're going to stand you're going to endure and in one case the man was passing away but now the poor man when he's standing the trial something else is going to happen it's going to result in life so here we read this again then we're going to go to the notes blessed is the man who perseveres under trial because when he has stood the test he'll receive the crown of life that god has promised to those who love him now notice right here god has promised the crown of life to those who love him he has not promised the crown of life to the poor he has not promised that the rich will never have the crown of life he promises the crown of life to those who love him so if you are poor if you are rich evaluate your situation pursue wisdom and love god and you'll receive the crown of life the poor have to do it from the position of being poor and sometimes they're looking for an answer the rich have to do it from the position of the rich 
with the temptation that I don't need any answers. But both have the opportunity to pursue God and receive the crown of life. And, and it goes on here. Let's go to the notes. Um, looking on page. Um, yeah, page four. Chapter one, verse 12, page four at the bottom. And I've got these words circled. On the notes now is the English Standard Version. And this would be like we'd say new material from last week. Chapter 1, verse 12, bottom of page 4. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he'll receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Again, I would say right here, we're, we, we've, taught, we've introduced the poor, we've introduced the rich, told them their positions. Now when it says blessed is the man, I think we could consider the poor or the rich, whichever man wants to make this choice now the poor ones they're going to pursue it can be more easier potentially the rich consider you know rejoice boast about your low position and you can get over here on the side but blessed is the man who remains steadfast Uh, if you look there in the the greek boxes you can see the word uh blessed is makarios which right out of the 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 beatitudes makarios blessed favored by god going to be receive benefits man who the word is endures, and you can see the Greek word is hupomone. And hupomone, we've got it in the notes right there on the next page. Uh, it means to stay behind, to await, to endure. It's used to stay behind, to serve. Hupomone is the word, it always is used for endurance, of great endurance. Uh, it's the ideal of when everybody else gives up and goes home, you're still standing. It's not necessarily a normal human response. The human response is to give up and find a more comfortable place to get away from the weight of the burden. Hupomone is to understand, and again, this is where you ask for wisdom. Because in the normal situation, if it's just an oppressive situation, I'm going to get out of this oppressive situation and make my life easier. But if you understand and you have wisdom, God wants me standing here. There's no, I, you cannot escape this trial. You can't, I can go over here and stand. Well, the trial's going to follow you. I'm going to go over here and escape this. It's, it's somewhere. You say, well, if I just had more money, I wouldn't have this. You're going to have another trial. If I had less money, you're going to have another trial. You're going to just stand there and endure. It means to not give up. Others will give up and go somewhere else. You're going to endure. So it says, blessed is the man who endures, who continues to stand. And it says right there, the word trial, who endures trial. And I've got that in the next page. You've got to turn over point B at the top of page five. This is the word, and it's going to come up right here. The word trial is going to be used throughout the book of James. It's going to come up as trials. It's going to refer to testing. Uh, it's going to refer to temptation. And th- the, this is all going to be in the context. It's a trial. And God will watch trials. God will test you with trials. He may not send the temptation or the evil. The evil is going to come from your heart. But you'll be in a situation if you have no money or if you have a lot of money. There's going to be a temptation. No money, you're going to blame somebody else. You're going to try to become corrupt and get your money. Or if you've got money, you're going to credit yourself and try to get more money. You're going to have a temptation. God is going to watch that trial, and it's going to become a test. So in a sense, 
God is not causing the temptation. It's your own evil desire that's causing this problem. God is going to say very clearly, God is the author of good things. He gives good things to you. But your evil desire is going to mess it up. Just like we talked last week, and we're going to talk about it again on Monday night. In Mark 7, the question was, uh, the disciples weren't washing their hands, and they were being defiled. The Pharisees want to say, well, you're defiled by what you put in. You're eating uh, unclean food. And Jesus, man's problem is not what he puts in his body. Man's problem is what comes out of his heart. You don't become defiled because you ate something unclean. You are defiled because of what comes out of your mouth that comes out of your heart. The defiled means sin nature. You have a sin nature, and you are corrupt because of what you are producing. It's not like you're this little you know, pure person, and you ate something that's unapproved by God, and now you, you became a sinner because you ate something inappropriate. You were a sinner from the beginning. And you have the, your uncleanness comes from within, from what you say, what you do. So nonetheless, this temptation is going to come from inside. God gives you something good. Your sinful nature is going to want to corrupt it. That is a trial or a test, but God is not going to send this temptation. So this word right here that is uh, uh, endure, uh, makarios, a man who endures trial. Blessed is a man who endures trial. That trial is right here. It's a trial. And you're going to have to endure this trial. And enduring that trial in the book of James includes maintaining a godly character. You remain just. You don't blame God. You continue to do what is right. It doesn't mean you become the way of the world, blame God, and you've got all these excuses why you are being tempted. The reason it's a temptation is because you have evil within you. Okay, so going back to the page four, bottom page four. Blessed is the man who remains hupomone, remains steadfast, hupomone, under trial, under this testing, under this trial. For when he has stood the test, and there it is, stood the test, that is the word dokimos. When he has stood the test, or when he has been approved, dokimazo, approved, that's another whole thing. Dokimos or dokimazo, it means approved. And the only way you can be approved is to go through a trial or testing. Uh, The example always that is used is silver. You have silver and you want to refine it, purify it, so you have pure silver. You're going to have to put it in fire and heat it up and separate it from the the junk, the dross, the the, uh, dross, the part that you don't want, and have pure silver that is left over. Trials do the same thing. For example, I have faith. I have this, this character. Trials will come into my life, and as I continue through these trials, there's going to be impurities that cannot endure if I continue to follow God, and they're going to burn away. And I'm going to have to continue to choose right, and I'll become what we say purified. My faith will become purified. It can be your actions. It can be your attitude. It can be your doctrine. I know my doctrine has been purified. There's things I believed in, in the 80s, you know, when I was in my my 20s, that I held too firmly, but as life has gone on, trials of life, I realize that doesn't, and the Bible doesn't even say it. You begin to, I held to this, this is the way God works, this is what God is going to do, and he doesn't do it. I read the Bible, it doesn't happen, it doesn't work, nothing makes sense, and I have to, oh, I have to appear, like these verses right here at the beginning, I know, I remember the day, uh, if you ask God, you will not be lacking, well, okay, in context, he's talking about asking God for wisdom. He'll give you insight. 
well, I don't need wisdom. I need more material things. Well, that's not what we're talking about here. Shut up. Don't be a heretic. I know what God wants me to have good stuff. It's like, now there's a place we can go there. God meets all of your needs. We can go there. But in this context, it's talking about wisdom or character. So the trials of life, as I stood on those verses God will provide, he didn't write. He was just saying, I'm going to give you, I'm offering you wisdom of what's really going on and help you build your character. Nope, I want more possessions. Okay, you stand there in the fire like that. Well, I stood there in the fire like that. Eventually, it's like, you know, this ain't working. And eventually, it's like you have to come to recognition. I'm not saying God doesn't provide for us. He goes, God has provided for us, but it's not in the same idea that I was planning on God doing. I just thought we had like, you know, the 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 you know the highway of gold or something nonetheless and that's another whole dimension another story okay so this this trial uh, dokimazo blessed is the man who endures trial because approved having been approved he will receive the crown of life so once you go through this and you've been approved you're now purified you are now this approval this trial has tested you you've gotten rid of the junk if it be attitude if it be practices or lifestyles or your your failure to overcome sin or if it be doctrine you're going to be approved dokimazo god says yes that's what i'm looking for your faith will be approved peter says the same thing in first peter and will receive in result in the crown of life now this crown of life this is interesting we're going to spend some time talking about this hopefully not too much time is the word stephanos and you you know this before if if you spend any time in church, you know this, and so I don't want to bore you with it, but I'm going to. Stephanos, which means crown. There's also, boy, diadem. Did I spell that right, diadem? Those are two, two I, the A and the I, dia, di, diadem. Are, those are two Greek words. Stephanos, I'm going to show it to you. The Stephanos is the crown of the victor, the one who wins. The diadem is the crown of royalty. Uh, and the difference there is very simple. You've got to compete to get the crown. The poor man, the person outside of royalty, can win the Stephanos. The diadem is a crown of royalty. You don't have to win anything. You're in the family. You just get it. You were born into the family. The king's son gets the diadem. But the king's son may lose the Stephanos. And again, that's not the point of the story. It's just this is inherited. This is because of your position of who you are and whose family you are in. The Stephanos of royalty. We have, a, we have, we have diadems because we belong to the family of God. The Stephanos is not something that comes about. Diadem would be something that you, because you are born again, you're in the family of God, through the work of Jesus Christ, you are in the family of God. You are the royal priesthood. You didn't do anything to earn or deserve this. You are just in the family. So yes, that's the Christian diadem. But right there beside this and right here in this verse is the Stephanos. And the Stephanos, you do, now again, you check me, you challenge me, you think for yourself. The Stephanos, by very definition, is not something you're born with. You do not, everybody, not everybody in heaven will get a Stephanos in this case, uh, depending on what, what the race was. Some people will have a victory crown, or this is actually a, a wreath. The Stephanos would be the wreath, the victory got it in the Greek games. 
the diadem would be the, the royal crown. I would say every believer would be, in some sense, the possessor of a diadem because you're in the family of God by faith in Jesus Christ. But now you're going to have to live life and apply these things. This comes from, in our teaching, this comes from the first phase of salvation, the diadem, diadem, justification. You've been justified, you are in Christ, you are a member of the family. The Stephanos comes from the second phase of salvation. This is when you get born again, it happened in the past, you accepted Christ. The Stephanos is going to come or result in what takes place in your life, the maturity. This is now uh, the renewing of your mind. Your soul was saved here, you received the life of God. Your soul is in the process of being saved now. You, you were saved in the past, you're justified. You're right now, today in life, in the process of being saved, working out the salvation of your soul. You're learning, you're attaining wisdom, you're practicing, you're being tested and approved. Dokimazu, you're going through trials. These trials, the success in these trials do not affect the diadem. These testing and these trials do not affect if you are a son of God. You are a son of God. That's why God is purifying you, running you through tests and trials to approve of you as you mature. You've already been approved in Christ. You're already righteous in Christ. You're already seated with Christ in heavenly places. Then what are we doing here? We're attaining the Stephanos. We're now being tested and tried. We're maturing. We're taking, in this fallen age, we're taking the life of God, the nature of God, the word of God, and, and changing a, a human fleshly being with a sin nature into a son of God that can act and behave in righteousness in this fallen age right now. It's not an easy task. I don't want to say it's easy to get born again, but it's easy to get born again. You accept Christ. I need salvation. You accept Christ. You're born again. You're seated with Christ in every places. What did you do to earn or deserve it? You accepted the free gift. You're there. In fact, some, if you're going to be go Calvinism, God chose you. Could you just like that's all you did? Okay. I mean, not you didn't even do that. It's like that's even too much work. It's like you just. I mean, yeah, whatever you want to go. This now is something you're doing in life. This is why you read the New Testament. I mean, once you're saved, you read the New Testament, it goes, you're not trying to get born again or maintain your salvation. You got it. Now, they're now explained to you these trials. You need to mature. The Corinthian problem was they weren't mature. Uh, the Galatians problem, they had bad doctrine. James is telling these people, they've been fled, and he's trying to tell them, hey, you're in a great place. You're believers. And now you're in the world, and the world's oppressing you. Stay strong. If you will be dokimazo through these trials if god can approve of you you'll receive the stephanos of life the crown of life in eternity the first phase of salvation justification happened in the past in our lives second phase of salvation is going to be a sanctification it's happening right now it's the renewing of our mind the third phase of salvation we'll write a three up here for everybody that wants to have a visual the third phase of salvation is glorification it's where you are now resurrected and in eternity in a glorified body. Sin nature is gone. You have been glorified. You are like Christ. You see him face to face. Uh, the, the, the first phase of salvation is the salvation of your spirit. The second phase of salvation is the salvation of your soul, your mind, your understanding. The third phase of salvation is the salvation of your physical body you are now resurrected and have a body like jesus christ spirit soul and body past present future first second third or justified sanctified glorified if you want to read it out of a theology textbook 
All right. So we're looking at the Stephanos. Now, because of the Stephanos, and I, again, this is, I don't want this to be a long journey, but it's worth looking at. And now you're going to be able to compare this. This would be the victor. This would be royalty. And now we look at the next set of notes. Here we go. Because this does not just come up here. It's amazing how many times this pops up in Scripture. Uh, sometimes when Jesus appears with crowns, it's translated crowns. See, Stephanos, a crown. A diadem, a crown. And in the English, it's a crown. But if it's a diadem, translated crown, it means a crown of royalty. If it's Stephanos, translated crown, it's the victor. Someone won something. They had a battle. They had a race. They had a competition. They won. Royalty, it was given to you. So Stephanos, there you can see point page 5, top of page 5, uh, is the victor's crown. It is the symbol of victory given to the winners in the Greek games or a contest. Uh, it is a reward or a prize. I could go through the whole ideal of when someone won in the Olympics or some Greek game and they got the Stephanos, they came home, they'd sometimes knock a hole in the wall so the, the victor could enter in and then they put a monument up or a plate up, you know, so-and-so entered the wall through here after they won the whatever, the Stephanos for this event, then they'd wall it shut. That was the only person that ever entered the wall at that place. It'd be your, your special gate. Uh, you'd be tax exempt for the rest of your life. It'd be, you know, welcome, you, you put our, our city on the map. So anyway, the victory, they, then they were given a wreath, a wreath, a green wreath, but it in, indicated uh, who they were because of the victory. Is reward or a prize? Stephanos is the word for the crown in this discussion of five crowns. In the crown for the winners in the Christian, it is the crown for the winners in Christian life. It is used in these verses written down right there. Uh, in point six, the Stephanos is also used as an ornament for festivities and celebrations in these verses, Proverbs and Song of Solomon. The Stephanos was also used to honor someone publicly who had distinguished themselves in service or given to someone from their, uh, for their worthiness. These are worn at the Perusia. Uh, of the kings so when the king would arrive when the king would show up you would wear a stephanos on their arrival if you had done something for his service so he would recognize who were his victors in the service of the king we're not talking eschatology there but obviously we could apply to eschatology diadem the diadem was the kingly crown it is a crown worn by nobility who were possessor who were possessors of a royal position now uh I'm going to show you five crowns. In fact, if you go to page eight, there is the, there is the five crowns. Now, I've done some definitions here, put some things together. Uh, you need to accept the Bible verses, but you do not need to accept my detailed application and putting together of this puzzle. You can simply say they're all the same crown and they all refer to eternal life and be done with it, you know. But they're each put in the scriptures in a context uh like this right here the crown the stephanos of life goes to those who have gone through trials and been approved by god that is not salvation the reason the the lord is with you through trials is because you are a child of god and you can fail or succeed in these trials you can turn and blame people or blame god or you know corrupt yourself and start living the way the world does and not come through these trials with a Stephanos as a victor. 
but you're still a child of God. You just didn't mature. And there's, okay, uh, point page eight. There are five crowns mentioned in Scripture. Again, be careful. They may all refer to exactly the same thing. They may simply be, you're a victor because of Jesus Christ, and you get to go to heaven. I think there may be more to it. Point one is called the incorruptible crown for mastery over the sin nature. Two, the crown of righteousness for living righteously in the world. Three, the crown of life for enduring trials while proceeding in God's plan. That's the one we're looking at in this verse, the crown of life. I I spelled life wrong, look at that. Crown of joy for leading others to Christ and leading others in righteousness. Crown of glory for fulfilling your calling and finishing the work assigned to you. Now, do you understand that? All five of those things, those are five crowns. Incorruptible crown, crown of righteousness, crown of life, crown of joy, crown of glory. They could all be the same thing, but they're all in different contexts. And the, what they are given for is mastery over the sin nature, living righteously in the world, proceeding in God's plan, leading others to Christ and leading others in righteousness, and then finishing your calling that was assigned to you. Now, you understand we could go backwards. You may not ever finish what God called you to. In fact, you may never even find out what God called you to do. You may just live your life. Think about the rich man who gets caught up in his wealth. He's a believer, but he never finds out what God wants him to do. Well, he's not going to get the crown of glory. He's going to be in glory, but he won't have the crown of glory because the crown of glory, if this is correct, can only be attained by finishing what God calls you to do. The one above that. For leading others to Christ and in righteousness. Now, not everyone leads other people are getting saved, but they don't say anything. They don't do anything. And you think that God can use everybody. Yes, he uses every situation. But some people are actively engaged in proclaiming Christ and leading others in righteousness. If it be a father or a mother, if it be uh, someone that's involved in some kind of ministry, a wide range of ministries, are you actively, and it doesn't have to be like an official stamped approved ministry. It could just be you are actively engaged in helping others. Maybe it's your example. Maybe it's your words. Maybe it's you hand out CDs of you singing songs, you know. I'd like to be that guy. But nonetheless, you just throw them away. Uh, crown of, which you should. Uh, crown of life for enduring trials and proceeding in God's plan. That's what we're talking about in this one. They're not talking about leading others to Christ. They're not talking about in this conversation. James is talking about the crown of life is if you endure these trials and instead of... Uh, uh, being tempted, going into sin, and sin producing death, you've avoided the temptation, you stayed focused on Christ, and so instead of resulting in death, you're going to result in the crown of, of life in eternity. Uh, the crown of righteousness is living righteously in this world, which again is a challenge, and mastery over the sin nature. Let's go back and look at the verses. And now that's what I'm presenting. Now this is where you're going to have to decide. The incorruptible crown. 1 Corinthians 9.25. This crown would be the first level. Again, I even put levels on this. Level 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, which is not in the Bible. It doesn't say this is level 1. It's like a video game. Okay, that's not what it says. But I did put that on there. Feel free to disregard that. Uh, or anything that is not in quotes. If it's in quotes of the Bible verse, you better take that serious. Or at least find a better translation. If it's my words, feel free to go, hmm, I don't know. But anyway, 
Uh, the incorruptible crown would be the first phase. The first level of a believer would attain to. This crown indicates mastery over the sin nature. You're going to, before you proceed in leading others to righteousness, you're going to have to somehow uh, come overcome the sin nature. Now again, we're not talking about attaining perfection, but being able to walk a life of righteousness yourself before you're going to even proceed. The Corinthians are being urged to run the Christian life in such a way as to receive the reward in the end. Here the emphasis is in self-control. This is Paul writing to the Corinthians. He talks about the runners in the race in the Greek field, in the Greek races. They do it to get a crown, and the word crown is, they do it to get a Stephanos, the victor's crown in the races, that will not last. It's a wreath. You wear it home, you wear it at the event, you wear it back, and everybody applauds, put your name on the wall, and then it fades away, and it, it doesn't last. But we do it to get a crown, a Stephanos, that will last forever. What you are doing in your life right now, Paul's saying, is a, not a wreath that's going to fade away after the Greek games. It's a, it's a crown, a, a victory, not a diadem. It's not a diadem. There's no, there's no chance the royalty of Christ is going to fade away. If you're a son of God, you're a son of God. You don't need to worry about it fading away. But this Stephanos is going to last forever. He says, that is why I beat my body and make it my slave so that I, after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Meaning he recognizes his ministry of helping others find Christ and leading them in righteousness. But at the same time, he's looking over his shoulder realizing, I could fail and not have mastery over the sin nature. And they heard the good news. They heard the word. The word of God is effective, not because of Paul, because it's the word of God. But they may have heard it and proceed. But me, I failed. I did not, I did not discipline my body. He says, that's why I beat my body and make it my slave. And that's not talking about actual beating. It, talking about him using his position and not saying feeling not, he's not making excuses well this is too hard i've got to walk too far i've got to try last time i went there they threw stones at me i'm not going back it's like no get up and go tell them the word of god paul is focusing the believers on running the race or living the life god has given them to compete in just as each life has a race each life has a reward available only those who run the race and run it according to the rules get the prize we've talked about this before in other words, you've got to follow the rules. Paul's going to say you've got to follow the rules. You can't be running a race that doesn't even exist. You've got to be in the, in the arena running the race that God's assigned to you. Um, the Stephanos would wither and sometimes was withered, either a pine or a celery, uh, according to Fee. At that time of the victory, but it meant fame, prestige, fortune. Uh, Paul does not run aimlessly, chapter 9, verse 26, I mean, he does not live his Christian life without purpose or direction, nor should we if we want to achieve what has been made available to us. Consider someone who, who enters a race not knowing the distance or the direction. I, I, I'm going to run a race. How far are you running? I don't know. Well, you need to know how far you're running. You don't know where the finish line. You don't know how, how to pace yourself. You need to know, is this a sprint? Is this a distant run? What is this? The boxer failing to land a blow is ridiculous and pointless. It is an analogy of an undisciplined believing believer missing his purpose like paul says i do not box the air i'm actually trying to land blows i've got a target i've got an opponent and some believers are just out you know saying they're christians like what what is your target i'm just you're just beating the air you're you're not really doing anything okay crown of righteousness this is second now notice if you see a difference in this second timothy chapter four verse seven through eight and i write the second level of crowns now these are notes i wrote 15 years ago so I don't know if it's really, if I agree with this or not. 
that's the problem with continuing to study. It's like, it sounded good 15 years ago. Uh, How do I know it's the second level? Okay. The second level of the crown goes to those who live righteously in this world while they look forward to Christ's return. They are those who are not captivated by this world, but hunger and thirst after righteousness. This is Paul writing his last book to Tim. Last book, he's writing it to Timothy, probably 67 AD. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which is not the crown of life or the incorruptible crown. It's the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. So again, Paul is a believer. Paul is an apostle. But Paul has not received the crown of righteousness. He is going to receive the crown of righteousness on that day when he appears before the Lord. And when he appears before the Lord, that is the Bema seat where the Lord evaluates Paul's life. That is another concept in the New Testament that we must all appear before the Bema seat. He's not, it's not the judgment seat of Christ where he's going to decide if you're in heaven or hell, the book of life is open. That's a, you're a believer, you're coming up, you've, you've passed the test. He's now, you're appearing before the Bama seat, the reward seat. You won the race. The Bama seat was where the governor would sit who was overseeing the games. He'd have a special governor's booth. I know being at Caesarea uh, by the sea, there's, we, I was in the governor's booth at the, at the racetrack right there. You could see where the governor sat. And he'd overlooking the Mediterranean Sea. It's where uh, Agrippa I made his speech and then fell over and got eaten by worms in the book of Acts. The governor's seat is, is, is there. And the governor would be sitting there in his seat, and if whoever won the race would appear, be, appear before the judgment seat or the Bama seat. You'd also see that at, at courtrooms, where there'd be, you'd, you'd appear before the judgment seat for the decision. And so Paul is going to appear before, at some point in his life, after he has gone on to eternity, uh, it goes on again, I fought the good fight, I'm done fighting. I finished the race. I mean, he's, he's in prison. He knows he's going to get his head cut off. I mean, who can say I've finished the race? I mean, I, I mean how, how do you know? Well, Paul knew. I mean, I'm, I'm not getting out. I'm dead. I'm getting my head cut off. He's still writing letters, but he's finished the race. And he can say, I have kept the faith, which, I mean, that is, that is a goal that I would like to be able to say, I have kept. I'm not sure how my life is going to go from now, from here on in. But Paul was on his way to get his head cut off. And he, I mean, he's already appeared before Nero. He, I, I'm not going to flinch now. I've kept the faith. They're going to cut my head off because of my faith. Now, there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me. Now, here's here's the qualifications for this. He says, it's not only for me. Now, to be an apostle, I'm not going to get the apostle's crown, you know, if there's an apostle crown. Paul can get that, but I, I can't get that. There's things Paul did that I'm not going to be rewarded for. But this, but not only for me, he says, but this crown of righteousness is available to everyone who, again, not every, it's not a diet. Not everyone is going to get it. Oh, I'm, a, I'm a child of God. You get this. Well, yeah, you're a Christian, but did you do this? Did you, uh, I'm finding my place here, but, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Are you longing for Jesus' return? 
Or do you just want him to come back sometime after you've died because you want to live your life? You're having your best life now. The last thing I want to do is go to heaven and screw this up. It's like, yeah, that's not the words of someone's going to win the crown of righteousness. It's like, I'm having my best life now. Last thing I want is Jesus to come right now because I'm having my best life now. Yeah, that's not the crown of righteousness. You're not, you're not winning the race. You're winning whatever you're running here, but that's like going to a track meet and running, like I said, out around the concession stand trying to get a hot dog or something. It's like, I'm having my best race now, running to the concession There's no one timing the race to the concession stand. We're running the race on the track. Yeah, but I'm the first one in line for a hot dog. I won the hot dog. Right, you got the hot dog, but you're not going to get the medal, okay? We're running on the track, not to the concession stand. There are some Christians running to the concession stand to get a hot dog. I got the hot dog. It's like, yeah, yeah, but uh, that too is passing away. Uh, You're going to miss this. And so I've got other things written down there that I could go on and on. I mean, there's many things I've got written down there. Point three, to continue on here, the crown of life. Now, that is the, that's the crown that got us on this little study right here. James chapter 1, verse 12, and Revelation chapter 2, verse 10 mentions it. The third level, I wrote, to attain to this is to proceed in God's plan for your life while enduring trials. So you could be, you've overcome the sin, and now you're living a righteous life. Now you're looking for the Lord's return. Maybe things aren't going well, but you're looking. I'm waiting for the, I'm waiting for the Lord. The best thing that could happen to me right now is the Lord appear. That is what I'm looking forward to. Okay, you've got the right attitude. This now is the crown of life. You're now in the midst of trials, not just in the midst of trials looking for the Lord's return, which is good. But you're in the midst of trials, looking for the Lord's return, having overcome the sin nature, but now you are proceeding in your God's call of your life, not being overcome by the fact that you're oppressed or you're in poverty or you've got all these trials. You're proceeding. Here it is. Uh, it says, uh, what have I got here? Yeah, this is Yeah, this is James and Revelation put together right here at the bottom of page 6. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, Because when he has stood the test, he will receive the Stephanos of life that God has promised to those who love him. Do not be afraid. This is from Revelation. Do not be afraid of those, excuse me, do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer in Revelation. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you. Again, that would be oppress you because of who you are. And you will suffer persecution for 10 days. What do I do? What do I do? You be faithful. How far? Even to the point of death. Some of you will die. And I will give you the crown of life. So both James and Revelation are encouraging people. You are going to face trials. You're going to be put in prison. Some of you may die. But do not flinch. I will give you, when you die here, the crown of life over here. Now, again, does that apply to everybody? Everybody dies before they go to heaven, so does everybody get the crown of life? Uh, it seems like it's tied in with trials and persecution. Everyone has eternal life, but does everyone have the crown of life? Now, again, do you want to make those synonyms? Eternal life and the crown of life are the same thing. Eternal life comes from faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus' life, you're in Christ, you have life. This crown of life seems to come through trials and overcoming trials. So you can believe in Christ and never go through a trial, per se. And you're, you don't have to believe in Christ and then go through trials, and then you get eternal life. You believe in Christ, you have eternal life, and it's not going to be taken away. This seems to be something additional. 
Point four, the crown of joy. This crown, this is Philippians 4, 1 and 1 Thessalonians 2, 19. This crown is for those who lead others to Christ or demonstrate fruitfulness by influencing others towards righteousness. Paul received this. This is not trials. This is not overcoming the sin nature. This is you in your life impacting others towards Christ. And here's two verses. Therefore, my brother, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, Stephanos, that is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. He's, Paul is writing to the Philippians saying, you are my crown. You are my Stephanos. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown, Stephanos, in which we glory in the presence of the Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. And again, however you word that right there, there's, Paul was anticipating that he's not just going to stand in front of the Lord by himself. He's going to stand. He says, on that day, I'm not just going to stand there. I overcome the sin nature. I did what you called me to do. But you are going to be standing there with me as part of my joy, of my completion. You're going to be the, the this crown of joy, the Stephanos, as you stand there with me because I helped you across the finish line. He says, you are now again. Does it mean a literal crown or their presence with him there is his crown. But nonetheless, that's the crown. That's different than trials. That's different than overcoming uh, sin. This is him bringing people into the presence of God at the Bama seat with him. Uh, he, he, you know, he was looking forward to the Lord's return. This is different. This is people that he has influenced, and you're standing there. Both the Philippians and the Thessalonians are his crown. And finally, the crown of glory. First Peter chapter 5, verse 4. The greatest achievement is to fulfill your calling and finish the work God gave to you to gave you to do. The scripture reference is speaking to pastors in the, in the context who finish their work faithfully, but this crown is not only for pastors. It is for anyone who finds and fulfills their assignment God has given them. Now, I wrote those words, so you, you don't have to accept that with those words. Here is the word crown of joy being used by Peter. To the elders among you, Peter writes, I appeal as a fellow elder. One who will share in the glory to be revealed. When Jesus is revealed, I'll share in the glory. He tells them, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Again, that's not eternal life. That's not trials. That is because you served as a leader, as an elder over a flock, whatever people God gave you to lead you'll receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. And so that is uh, the, uh, the, the five crowns. And you can see the differences. And again, I got off track there because in chapter 1, verse 12, it talks about uh, enduring the trials. If you'll endure the trials and dokimazo, pass the trials, God will give you uh, the crown of life. Again, talking to the poor and potentially to the rich, if you will humble yourselves and take the wisdom and, and learn how to serve God, you'll receive, endure these trials, you'll receive the crown of life. Well, we've got to pick this up next week in chapter. I overestimated myself once again, which is not com com not uncommon. I'll pray, and you're free to go. Father, we do thank you for the chance to look into these things. We thank you for the fact that you are standing with us, that you are assisting us, that you are empowering us to achieve the things you've called us to. We ask that we would make good choices, that we would pursue you and not give way to the evil desires in our hearts, but would rise up, walk in your ways, seek your wisdom, and achieve the things you've called us to. Again, we do thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.